0: Council from recess. You
1: missed
0: that gavel, Mr. Manager. I did, <laughs> Mr. Graves. I missed the gavel. All right, Mr. Manager. Uh, thank you, Mayor. And as the mayor said, welcome back from recess. And uh, I know why you got to take a. Break from a couple of public meetings. I don't think anything slowed down for any of you all, based yeah. on <laughs> what I watched the last thirty days. Um, in terms of, you, I'll do a quick agenda review. Which is, uh, we got a couple of pop-ups. Um, uh, you've got an item on your agenda tonight. It's really, y'all, y'all know what we're doing here with the budget amendment, but it's a little bit different uh, uh, in terms of uh, timing. So I want Greg Patrick to jump up and just explain it really for the public, so they understand what, what you're doing. Um, the American Flood Coalition. We have talked about uh, probably as for the past year, maybe more. And um, this is an organization that has really evolved over the last 12, 14 months, and a lot of conversation with the PDC and others are joining in, so we're gonna gonna bring a resolution forward to you all to join that coalition, and I want uh, Morgan Whalen to step up and explain uh, that piece and then uh, City Auditor Tam Gansel will introduce uh, Greg Bussink who's back for, for a second external audit right Jerry, Greg sure. so we look forward to him he's gonna to talk to you about um, sort of his approach and the, the scope of that project and again a chance for get some feedback from you all but also for the public to understand the, the external audit process and then we've got some fun stuff happening in utilities and, and, and we're really uh, trying to um, uh, use technology and be more efficient and um, we've got a couple of programs that, that I want you all to see um on uh, utilities gps and mobile technology and how we're finding some things really pretty interesting stuff and fun stuff and then the um uh, mcare is a paperless work order system that uh, the utilities department has put in place and again to be uh, more efficient and uh and how we're doing work and i think y'all will enjoy that and then um deputy city manager Catherine white will step up and give you an update on regional broadband and uh, the uh, Recommendation is coming forth from the committee of, of city managers is uh, recommending a uh, uh, broadband authority and that'll be um, uh, Coming before you all in uh, October 22nd, I think and um, uh, We're gonna we would recommend a member of the council uh, be on there. So we want to talk about that And Kathy will come up and make that presentation. And then uh, the, uh, Stephanie the uh, Thomas Johnson um, Is going to talk to you about a change of uh, polling places out at uh, Papa Hall and then we'll go into closed session, and um, and I need a, a fat hour with you in, in closed. So we're, our goal is to be cook, be done with the work session as close to 5:30 to 5:40 as we can, so we will get you upstairs by 6:45. Um, um, so with that, I'll ask uh, Greg. Say again. All right, Miss Johnson. Miss Johnson, help me
2: here. Skinny hour. Ah,
0: uh, yes. Six forty-five. 645. I'm low, five. <laughs> 645. <laughs> we strive. We
2: don't always meet, right? It's for six forty-five. We're going to meet.
3: Today. Gonna meet today. All right. Greg Patrick. Where'd you go? There you are. Thanks, buddy. Good evening, Mayor. Members of council. Tonight on your agenda, item P five is a public hearing an ordinance to amend the fiscal year 2020 operating budget. There are four specific items that are in this budget amendment. Uh, First is um, we'll amend the budget to reflect the net revenue loss of about $62,000 from City Council's changes to the boat tax and the boat license fee uh, during our budget deliberations. We're going to reappropriate Norfolk Public Schools fiscal year 2018 year-end surplus funds for one-time expenses as requested by NPS. This aligns with the, with the process that's outlined in the school revenue sharing formula. Uh, we're going to appropriate an estimated $1.5 million that the Nauticus Foundation will earn through the use of the Nauticus facility. And finally, we'll appropriate and reserve into the general fund $20 million in one-time water payments uh, received from the city of Virginia
4: Beach.
0: Step up and talk to you about uh, R5 is your uh, American Flood Coalition.
5: Good evening, Mayor and members of council. As the manager referenced, um, this is an item that many of you may have been first approached by an organization that has changed names. So it was previously known as the Seawall Coalition. And you may have been contacted in the past by Susan Gaston or Colonel Olson. And this is really an advocacy group that was created over the last couple years. And their membership has really grown. Um, And it is an organization that mission is to protect communities that are vulnerable to flooding and sea level rise, and really trying to make this more of a national issue with natural solutions then at the federal level. Um, And they say it's vitally important um, to them as an organization um, for the country's citizens' well-being, economic strength, and security. They focus on four pillars, um, the economy, communities, rebuilding, and military. This is a group that their membership has grown substantially over the last year. As you can see, I pulled this just um, two days ago. They have over um, 60 cities and counties that have been members Um, most of them have been they started um, really first in kind of Virginia and we were a little bit on the fence until we wanted to first figure out who their funders were Um, and it is um, both sides of the aisle um, philanthropists on uh, both sides and then also it was really important that they have a nonprofit status and they've met both of those Um, so they first really got a lot of membership in Florida. They've now moved to South Carolina and Virginia. Um, our sister cities, Virginia Beach and Hampton, are both members. Um, this has also been endorsed by the Hampton Roads Planning District Commission, as well as the Harumfa the Hampton Roads Military Federal Facility Alliance, as well as Councilman McCullens, a member, as well as some of our uh, federal delegation, Congressman Scott, Congressman McEachin, and Congresswoman Luria, as well as state leaders from both sides of the political aisle. We look at this as a group that supplements um, and really complements our work that we're already doing on Norfolk-specific projects with the Army Corps of Engineers and trying to get state-level funding. And it really just builds that national coalition to try to get federal resources to address flooding and climate change. So happy to answer any questions.
4: Thank you, Morgan. All right, so
0: as as you all know, um, our, our Challenges are expensive, and we have got to have some federal support. So, any organization that we can be a part of that we feel good about that is um, uh, pushing us down that path and uh, that we can be aligned with, then we should. So, Morgan, thank you. All right, I've asked uh, Tammy Dantzler, uh, City Auditor, to introduce uh, Greg Busseck.
1: Good evening, Mayor, <coughs> and the City Council. It's that time of year, again, that we have our external audit. This is CLA's second year with us. So I'm introducing Greg Buznik He is a partner um, and the engagement leader for this year's audit. Greg comes with over 23 years of experience, and we welcome Greg. Thank you. All
6: right. So, well- Thank you, and good evening, everybody. I'm here tonight to talk to you about the city's audit plan for this year. Uh, so we'll get started. Um, we'll take too long. This may sound familiar. Um, there's no new standards this year, as far as auditing standards go, um, and no new significant accounting standards this year. So it'll be a quiet year from the audit perspective. We hope uh, the exact you know, the summer here. Really, we're going to talk to you about the plan. Um, make some sure required communications to the city council, and uh, talk about the approach overall. So agenda scope, we'll talk about our, our responsibility, um, cover the engagement team, talk about the audit approach a little, timeline, and then certainly be willing to answer any questions at the end. So um, overall, scope, and this is a little bit small, um, but our contract covers uh, the city, uh, NPS, EDA, ERS, um, water utility fund and wastewater utility fund. We also conduct a single audit. Um, we used to call it A133. Now it's conducted under Uniform Grant Guidance, um, so you hear those terms used sometimes interchangeably. And we do have some agreed-upon procedures and examinations that we perform. Uh, majority of them are required by the Auditor of Public Accounts, so the APA gives us some guidance too. Yeah. And as Doug, as
7: we move stormwater into an enterprise fund, will that then become under this come under this audit? But it has to get there first?
6: Well it would be part of the engagement if you have a, it became a major fund. We issue separate reports for those two uh, funds. And if you wanted us to we could amend the contract to do that, but it, it, it on what your needs are. Okay. That's great, it's a great question. And, but and, we'll talk through that and okay. see what makes the most sense. Yeah, okay, thank you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, sure, that works. It's good to answer your questions. Robert, um, <coughs> accounting framework is uh, generally accepted accounting principles, um, auditing standards. There's no change here, but we use uh, gas under United States standards. Um, then there's government auditing standards. Uniform guidance is what you see 133. And then there's also APA specifications for city, counties, and towns that are. Um, promulgated by the state. <coughs> Other terms of the engagement, um, we'll test controls as part of our engagement, we'll provide comments, um, either internal control comments or maybe manual letter comments. We'll also discuss on the back of the engagement, we'll revisit um, with the council the results of the engagement. So kind of what we're telling you now, we'll kind of revisit and talk about the opinions of those things on the financial statements. And at the very end, we issue a data collection form, which is a submission to the federal government of the results of your uh, federal expenditures. Um, auditor's responsibility. So our responsibility is forming and expressing opinions on the financial statements, whether they're fairly presented in accordance with GATT. Um, we provide reasonable, not absolute assurance, and then we're we'll also uh, we're responsible for identifying any material misstatement caused by error or error. Single audit. Um, also, uniform grant guidance audit. Um, we'll issue several reports. A report on internal control over financial reporting and compliance we we'll an opinion on compliance in accordance with the uniform grant guidance. Um, again, it's reasonable, not absolute assurance. And then at the end, we'll have a certification of the data collection. So engagement team, um, I'm the overall engagement principal responsible for the performance of the engagement. Uh, we have three directors, Sherry King and Jatana Davis <coughs> work with the city, and Eris Coleman runs the uh, audit for the schools. And we split the work out in between all of us. Audit approach, so it's a four, four-phase approach. Planning and strategy, we look at systems evaluation, testing analysis, and then reporting. Um, and we have continuous communication where we're talking with management and uh, the council throughout the process. Overall, on an approach, um, we get a good understanding of the city's business processes and look at what you do and how you do it. Um, you go through a risk assessment process. We do that internally, and then we also talk with folks at the city to kind of make sure we're on the same page of what the significant risks are. We provide some controls over major processes within the, within the city, um, Test of effectiveness over key controls, um, substance procedures, which is more of the number crunching, making sure the numbers are right, um, developing the findings, and then we have a reporting phase. So here's a kind of a timeline. So planning and interim field work, we've already started that. So that's kind of an ongoing process. We do some of the grant testing throughout the other processes that's available. That helps us save time on the back end. Final field work will come back when the books are closed. Um, hoping to issue draft reports um, by November 15th final reports by the end of November <coughs> and then back in front of the city with the results by December 31st and that's kind of the high level of what we're gonna do when our plan is and then I'd be happy to answer any questions you have
0: all right thank you so much Greg, thank you appreciate that very much um, all right, it, uh, I'm sorry Winter's uh, on, on vacation, I'm glad he's on vacation, I'm sorry he's not here today. Um, he came back from uh, uh, meeting with uh, Kristen and her team and said, man, this, this is really neat stuff going on in the utilities department, I think cap, that, uh, council should see and understand and uh, with y'all's interest in technology and things we're doing. So I'm gonna ask Chris Ballesteros, who's an engineering technician in the utilities department, to t- come up and talk to you about some of the things we're doing and how we locate utilities and you know, to make
8: things work a little more smoothly. Chris,
0: welcome.
7: Hello. 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 Yeah. I was what that was. Uh, Mr.
8: Mayor, members of the city council, Mr. City Manager, good afternoon. My name is Chris Ballesteros, and I'm an engineering technician 3 with the Department of Utilities. Let me just figure out this clicker first. <laughs> so imagine you're going home after a long day's work. You're almost home, but then you run into a little bit of traffic. And you look a little further down the road because, you know, you want to see what's going on. But then you see this, water spewing out of the ground, 10, 15, maybe 20 feet in the air. Then the first thing that comes in your head is, man, how much longer is it going to be before I get home? But then you think a little bit longer, and then you think, is this going to affect my home or my neighborhood? Am I going to be able to do the laundry tonight, or am I going to be able to take a shower before I go to bed? Our goal is to minimize these service disruptions by improving our ability to locate utilities in the field more quickly and accurately. To help accomplish this goal, we use geographic information systems, better known as GIS. GIS is a map that displays the location of our utilities in the field. This was once only available on desktop, but with advances in technology, we've upgraded to a fully mobile version that's available on iPad. These iPads are supplied to every utilities repair crew. The map shown on the screen is an overview of our most current utilities. And then when the map is zoomed into a specific area, the user is able to see all the utilities in even greater detail. So, let's recall the image of the broken main that you saw earlier. This is a GIS map of where that main break occurred. In order to fix that main break, emergency crews have to shut off the flow of water in this section. They do that by turning off valves that are located along the pipes while being sure to only affect the smallest area possible. But they would have to find those valves first. Unlike the picture I gave you guys, not all valves are just out in the field just screaming at you. What if they were located underwater, under snow, or even under or in an overgrown field? How would they be able to find these valves if it's not easily visible? In order to find those valves, we use the global positioning system, as everybody knows it as GPS. GPS is a network of about 30 satellites orbiting the Earth. Signals emitted by these satellites are traveling at the speed of light and are intercepted by GPS receivers. You may already be familiar with a GPS receiver. Your cell phone or your tablet are great examples. You may, uh, apps such as Google Maps and Waze help navigate you to your destination, like the nearest Chipotle. or Starbucks. (laughs) Starbucks <laughs> although these features are great to have, the cell phone GPS is nearly enough for what we need it for. We need something that could bring you within a foot of what you're looking for and then that's when the GPS R2 receiver comes into play and I have it right here live and in person in the past I'm sorry. In the past, utility crews would have to return to the combined ops building, shuffle through stacks of paper drawings, and drive back to the main break and try to find a valve to shut off the water. This process consumed valuable time, as you can tell. We've eliminated that by having repair crews arriving on the scene with tools like their iPads and these GPS receivers to get the job done faster. So let's take everything that we saw today, bundle them all up, and let's see it all at work. An emergency crew is called out to respond to a main break. They use a GPS receiver and their iPad to navigate them to the location of the valve. The GPS receiver gives a real time location as shown by the blue dot moving on the iPad screen. It takes them to the location of a rock, but the GPS shows that there should be a valve directly located in this location. The rock is moved and lo and behold, they find the valve there. Although that valve was hidden from plain view, the GPS was quickly able to navigate that user to that location. Time is key when dealing with service disruptions, and with these upgrades to our utilities department, you can be sure that any repairs are handled in the most efficient way possible. Putting this technology in the hands of our employees ensures that you'll always have water that you can rely on. Thank you. Yes, Ms. Graves.
1: Okay, so that was a great presentation. (laughs) Um, You didn't read to us, which was, I mean like, what was on the screen? mean to it. us. Yeah. Um, that was great, and it was very interactive, and I really, um, I really, it, it brought it home, and it helped to understand. It made a very complicated issue very simple. Right. And so that was very helpful. I'm sure those who are watching on um, at home will enjoy it as well. Yeah. And Kristen does a great job. She's you know, fantastic. there. Uh,
0: she is. Chris, thanks, but that was fantastic, and it, it, it is. Um, uh, I thought the opening was perfect, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this is the stuff that impacts our citizens. This is the stuff they care about. And the more we can get people out from digging through that paper and using these tools, uh, the better. And we've put a lot of money recently into technology and we'll keep doing that. It
7: so could this also be translated to public works uh, for stormwater and for other? I, I don't I don't know in terms of their location. locations. Yeah, well, this is Richard, you, Richard yes. you all...
0: Yeah, for a little bit? and we interface with utilities all the time, and, and when you want to do a dig, you want to know where all the pipes are, and that's where we really use it. But what they do, locating valves for broken water lines, a lot, has to be a lot faster response than locating a stormwater pipe. Okay. <laughs> right, I'm going to ask John Simmons, who's a customer service um, supervisor, and Freddie Davis, senior utility maintenance supervisor, to come talk to you about... Um, Paperless work order system uh, called M Care, and again, another way of being more efficient in the utility
9: department. All right. So, uh, good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of the City Council, and Mr. City Manager. My name is John Simmons. I'm the Customer Service Supervisor for the Department of Utilities, and I'm Fred Davis,
4: Senior Utility Maintenance Supervisor for Combined Ops. I supervise all the meter mechanics that go out into the field and turn on and off water service for our customers.
9: And go ahead
4: for our customers. (laughs) And I would like to introduce you to our work order management system called MCARE. MCARE is a paperless work work order management system that allows our mechanics in the field to receive, sort, and complete
9: work orders using an iPad. So let's imagine you've purchased a new home and requested to have the water turned on before your scheduled move date. You arrive at the property early Friday afternoon, prepared to do a deep cleaning. You enter through your garage and attempt to fill your buckets, but to your dismay, there's no running water in the home. Frustrated and disappointed, you immediately call 664-6700 and ask why the water isn't on. The customer service representative informs you that the mechanic was at your home earlier this morning, but was unable to leave the water on due to the meter indicating a flow.
4: The mechanic left a door tag. You asked, why couldn't he just leave the water on? The customer service representative explains to you that the meter mechanic was at your house earlier that day but could not leave it on. But he didn't leave it on because he did not want to flood out your home. But somebody has to be in your home in order for them to turn it on so they don't
9: flood out your home. So, prior to June 12th of this year, the customer service representative would not have been able to provide real-time information when the customer called to find out what happened. She would have had to have apologized and said that she wouldn't have the information until the following day, unless you were willing to hold a little longer while we attempted to contact the dispatcher, who in turn would have to contact the mechanic out on the field. And as you may have expected, this is going to take a few minutes or longer. I'm happy to say this scenario is a thing of the past. Since introducing this new technology, we have enhanced our customer responsiveness to work more efficiently as well as more effectively, and using an iPad right here, that shows the work orders in conjunction with real time updates to our customer information system. Today, Any customer service representative can receive those comments from the field within seconds of the mechanic completing a service request. There is
4: no longer a need to print and distribute paperwork orders, constant use of a handheld radio to dispatch work to the mechanics throughout his day, or have the mechanics generate handwritten work orders
9: in the field. Our workforce has embraced this new technology and sees this as a valuable benefit to both our organization and our customers. We are reducing truck rolls, saving on fuel costs, and the wear and tear on vehicles. The new work order management system is also environmentally friendly and reduces the use of paper and ink used previously to print work orders. While improving customer interactions with fewer resources, we also work smarter and have improved productivity as well as accountability. This streamlined process eliminates duplicate work orders and allows the customer service representative to provide real-time updates within minutes to our customers. In addition to reducing processing time by using less resources to complete the requests, customer experiences are enhanced and our representatives are empowered to make decisions based on real-time information, and ultimately, but most importantly, we're able to build that trust with our customers, which is key. Thank you. Mr. Manager, if I may say, it is a, a, a pleasure to see our employees Actually, presenting to city council, so thank you so very much. It's nice to see the people who actually do the job can come to city council and present to us and actually show us what the citizens really want to know. So, thank you. Thank you.
1: So, I just want to say, biggest smile in the room. Oh my (laughs) god, this is amazing! All right, so first of all, our utilities department is light years above others. I won't say who, but they're on the other side of the water, and they're extremely antiquated in how they handle new service orders where you actually still have to go down there and take your paperwork in order to get your service turned on. So you guys are light years (coughs) above a lot of the other cities that um, I've had to deal with and my clients have had to deal with in terms of getting service on. Um, This is fantastic because it takes (coughs) out the what if and what happened and it helps to reduce the frustration level. Um, So this is absolutely fantastic. The only question that I have is since you have all the information from the homeowner about when there's, you know, who they are, their contact information, if you go to the residence and they're not there in order for you to actually turn that service on. Do we have the capability of perhaps emailing that homeowner and saying we were at your residence because you were not there, or because there wasn't anyone there, we weren't we were unable to turn the service on, or are we able to give 30 minutes to an hour? Um, automated text or emails to the homeowner so that they can have a window of time um, to be there and not have to just wait on thing we have
7: done is these folks right now, the meter mechanics, do not have cell phones or anything. We have cell phones on order okay. so that they will be able to call the customer and okay. say, I'm at your house but I can't leave it on. and This is the reason. Okay. We're not there yet about being able to tell them 30 minutes an hour. Okay. We're to get there. Okay. But to also add to what she said, um, go ahead. But what we do have as far as for the mechanics in the field mm-hmm. is what we call retina president. is kind of etiquette it's a
4: door tag. So what happens is I instruct my mechanics fill out the door tag and there's certain boxes he would check say hey no one was home I couldn't leave your water on the meter kept spinning and I didn't want to flood out your house so we would hang that on the door so when the customer do come home he does have some type of
9: explanation why the water didn't stay on Okay. and um, also from a customer service standpoint in the center what we do also as a stopgap is is that, that Um, You know, in the event that they want to be there when this actually happens, we will actually send out notification to the mechanic. This is the time frame they're going to be home. This is their telephone number. Let's reach out to them before we get there so we can actually have a face-to-face with them. We do that for a number of things, uh, for leaks, for just general turn-ons. So we try to be as proactive as possible to get that face-to-face so we can create that
0: relationship with them from the the get-go. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, thank you. All right. um, uh, John and Freddie, uh, Chris, thank you a ton. I, um, uh, If anybody's been without power or water for any period of time, you'd much rather be without power than water, right? I mean, water is <laughs> tough you. to go without, and everything these guys are doing to make sure that that doesn't happen for an extended period I think is appreciated by uh, everyone in this room. Uh, Catherine Whitesell, uh, and I'm sure uh, Ms. McClellan will have some comments as well, is going to talk to you about the um, regional broadband uh, update and some... Um, uh, action that's going to come your way uh, for the twenty seventh, so 22nd of October.
10: That's a hard act to follow. I I'm don't think I'm now. going to be quite as entertaining, and I apologize Mr. for this. So, Kim,
3: Kim, where, where's your props? That? <laughs> I don't have any
10: props. <laughs> and, I have, and I have a cold on top of all that, so I have my... My handy trusty cough drop if I need it. You can throw a
3: dollar bill on
10: <laughs> <laughs> the wallet upstairs, I'm sorry. Oh, um, wallet upstairs. <laughs> I know, when the check is in the mail, I can go for that one. Um, so thank you, Mayor, members of City Council, Mr. Smith, for the opportunity to brief you on this initiative, the proposed Southside Network Authority. I'm not going to go over in detail those legal documents, but I wanted to provide it to you um, for your review if once you've had a chance to look them over, you have any questions I'm happy to either come back to you all as a body or meet with you individually to walk you through what's in those documents um, this entity is being proposed as mr. Smith said by the five south side cities to construct and operate a regional broadband ring I got a <laughs> thanks um, a little, little issue there. Um, so the regional connectivity ring this is 103 miles of fiber. I think we've briefed you on the project itself. This is a middle mile strategy. Um, it will provide access to the fastest internet speeds on the inner east coast. While there will be some municipal benefits to this connectivity in terms of public safety, education, and other opportunities, it will also foster connectivity to small businesses, large businesses, medical and research facilities, as well as higher education facilities. So if you think about it as the highway that everybody's going to travel on. We're hoping that this opportunity will allow small and middle-sized internet providers to provide that last mile service to our residents' homes. It's not something that the regional authority will be doing. But we got to get the fiber up and running first. So what's been going on? Um, it, through the HRPDC, with the support of all 17 si- or uh, member uh, cities, We've been working on three fronts. First, the IT directors have been finalizing the technical specifications for the actual construction of the ring. Um, Stephen DeBerry has been Norfolk's representative on that uh, project. The request for proposals to construct the ring should be out um, into the marketplace by the end of the calendar year and hopefully being reviewed in that same time frame. Ms. McClellan and Miss Vitale, with uh, council member in Chesapeake, have been working on the General Assembly. Members, state, and federal officials to identify funding um, and support for this infrastructure project. And I think that's what we have to think about fiber. It's no longer a luxury, it is core infrastructure in this 21st century that we need to have in the ground. And finally, the city managers and legal staffs of the five cities have been meeting to develop a governance structure for the day to day management of the ring once constructed. As a part of that, each of us have contribu- or committed to contributing $200,000 to complete the detailed design and provide the initial administrative cost of the um, authority itself. That funding for Norfolk is available in the 2020 operating budget. As I mentioned, I put the proposed documents in front of you. Um, Next steps uh, to create a authority in the state of Virginia, you have to have a public hearing. That public hearing has to be advertised 30 days in advance. Um, we're scheduling the public hearing on October 22nd, and the idea is for all five cities to be doing this in roughly the same time frame. I think we have at least one city that's a little out of sync. Then that their councils meet on Wednesday, so that you know we couldn't do it perfectly then. Um, assuming that the public hearing is positive, we've scheduled the vote for October 22nd. There's a whole process if, it, if you decide that the public hearing wasn't positive and you want to do something different, we'd, we'd have to walk a whole different process. Um, and the idea is to have that vote, establish it. Um, Ms. McClellan has volunteered to be the council member representative, and Doug chased me down, and I'm going to be the city manager staff alternate um, for that. I'm happy to do that. Um, and then we will work with HRPDC to do the 100% design, construction, with the authority being up and running by the 15th of November is what the goal is right now. Other key dates are just to complete the work by the end of the calendar year and really to try to be under construction by uh, by the summer of 2020. So with that, that's my briefing. Again, you have the technical legal 17-page document for your enjoying sleep help. Um, But I'm happy to answer any questions. Did I do okay, Miss Graves? <laughs> you,
1: did. you did. Thank you. All right.
10: And, um, we can you to send to, our uh, dollars Kevin's later. Okay. okay. <laughs> just, uh, no, no. It's, I just, a
7: couple things. Um, do y'all understand middle mile versus last mile? And this is important because um, some of the pushback that we had received previously was that we don't, the private industry doesn't want municipalities providing services directly to residents. Um, And that's not what the intent here is. It's just basically to leverage an asset that we already have connecting our municipal buildings right now. Um, Let's say if we have, I don't know, 280 strands of fiber and we're only using eight. I don't know what the number is, but you've got a lot of excess capacity that we can then uh, market to the private sector, lower the infrastructure cost for other ISPs. So creating more opportunity for competition. So ultimately we're trying to um, lower costs of service to our customers and increased speeds because we have the connectivity to these overseas cables in Virginia Beach. So, I just want to make sure that that's just been a real rub for some folks. Um, so, think of it as you know, we're providing the highway, uh, as Catherine said, and um, hopefully, what does this mean long term? That ring, the goal is within two to three years, the ring will be complete of the five South Side cities. Um, so, then we'll start marketing that out there, but it could really transform. Um, everything, you know, business uh, research, etc. but it will also lower our costs internally significantly for our own internet usage. So uh, our ROI is pretty quick on this as well. Thank you. Mr. So I think you might have answered my question. So in two to three years, when we connect to the overseas cables, uh, well, we could do this in phases and potentially Virginia Beach and Norfolk could connect earlier than that time because our fiber is already to some extent in.
10: Norfolk has a built out ring um, currently the INET Net. Um, Stephen and Peter Wallace in Virginia Beach actually have made the initial connection out around Virginia Wesley, and I believe the mayor had, that event uh, out there. had an event to cut to cut light. I don't know exactly what the event was. Plug it together. Um we're
6: connected.
10: Connected. You don't want to cut the cord, You don't want to cut the cord. No, you don't want to <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> um, And I don't want to leave you all with the perception that two hundred thousand and we're all in. There's going to be additional costs for our piece of that fiber ring. Um, Stephen and I are looking at. Um, access to our INET as part of our contribution, uh, trench next to our INET, but we'll, we'll have some other construction costs as we get the RFPs back on the construction of the ring for the Norfolk segment. Okay. Thank you.
0: Okay. Thank you, Captain. Uh, thank you. Uh, PH02 uh, on your agenda tonight uh, changes the voting precinct for Poplar Hall. So the Stephanie Isles, director of elections, is going to take your vote. More importantly, let folks at home know what you <coughs>
2: hi good evening mr mayor members of council we're coming to you tonight regarding public hearing number two which is the request to relocate the polling place for poplar halls precinct currently that is located at the poplar halls elementary school as you're aware that schools in or being closed Um, the students are being allocated to other facilities We are hoping to relocate to the New Life Worship Center, which is within the precinct boundaries. Right now, the precinct has a little less than 3,500 registered voters, of which 3,251 are actively voting. The red dot here indicates the current polling place precinct, the yellow dot indicating where we would be moving on to Briar Hill Road, just south of Virginia Beach Boulevard there is ample space at new life worship center to include parking which we did not have at poplar halls Uh, we would be voting in the meeting room we've discussed it with the staff there and they're very amenable to us moving to that location public hearing is scheduled for tonight Um, (coughs) if approved we'll be sending out voter information notices as early as next week because we are getting ready for the November 5th election and this change would be effective then we will also be meeting with the poplar hall Civic League on September 9th. Typically, we like to meet with the Civic leagues before we come to council But because they were off for summer break we were meeting with them on September 9th. I'm happy to answer any questions All right, Mrs.
3: Smegel, um, Just a, How do you handle on election day because this is pretty close to November Um Do you have somebody stationed at Poplar Halls telling them where to go? We would put signs up. up.
2: We put signs up on the building to indicate that it's relocated to the new facility. And there's a map similar to what I showed you of where to go. Um, But every registered voter within the precinct all 3,499 will get a voter information notice. Okay. So we'll be packing laundry we'll Just In
3: case people don't read. Yes. So, and yes. Just, uh, and then we have
2: the uh, Civic League meeting. We're also sure. trying to meet with Elizabeth Park Civic League if they're still active. Um, we haven't heard back from them as well.
1: Elizabeth, the showers.
2: Yeah. We haven't heard back from them. I they don't know. Rock
1: also okay i believe both at poplar halls that's right across the street across from the um
2: they weren't listed as active but i can check oh they're very active okay oh yeah there i can send you the president's phone number okay thank you i appreciate it so any outreach we can do Mm -hmm. to notify them in addition to the notices Mm -hmm. we're happy to do so so thank you for your support and um if you have any other questions i'm happy to answer them but thank you for that and we look forward to your support with our Move of our
0: office as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mayor, members, council. I, I pulled the CPACE presentation. I'm going to put it on the 10th of September. And, and Ms. McClellan and I talked this morning, and they were comfortable. But I think we're going to come for the presentation. So we, I, I hope we got notice to them to, to not show up today. Uh, we need to have. We need to make sure that we're in sync with the assessor and the treasurer and the commissioner of revenue. And it didn't feel like we were this morning. So we're going to do that uh, for you on the uh, 10th of September. Um, with that I would ask you to go into
6: close. All right, Mr. Uh, Bull, Richard Allen
8: Bull. (laughs) I move that the members of council assembly formally close meeting on August 27, 2019 at 5.11 p.m. in in the 10th open office room of the city hall building, the city of Norfolk, for the purposes which are set out in Clause 1 and 29 of subsection A of section 2.2-3711 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act as amended. Clause 1, discussion of a personnel matter for a council appointee clause 29, discussion of the award of a public contract in the Riverview area. Okay. Mrs. Doyle? Aye.
1: And?
8: You said person? Yes. I'm She was asking Thank you.
1: Mrs. Graves? Aye. Mrs. Johnson? Aye. Mrs. McCarley? Aye. Mr. Smeagol? Aye. Mr. Thomas? Aye. Mr. Aye. Alexander? Aye.